0: She goes to the Museum of the American Indian in New York City with her mother, and all of a sudden she sees this display, and she stops, and she freezes, and she and she goes, oh my gosh, this quote-unquote authentic Native American burial dress, I made this. <gasps> I made this for my grandfather, and I buried him in it. What? And that means they dug this up and put it in this museum. And she was like, you know what? Daughter, I would like you to make it your mission to get all of these items out of these museums and reburied. Hello and welcome to Broads You Should Know, the podcast about amazing and noteworthy women from history who lived by their own rules. I'm Chloe Skye.
1: I'm Sam Eggers. And I'm Sarah Gorski.
0: Today, the research that I did took me on a while. I started apparently at the end of the story, and then I accidentally like worked back. But I started with uh, this woman named Amanda Blackhorse, who is the, the lead plaintiff on the case, Blackhorse v. Pro Football Incorporated.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: She's the one who fought to change uh, the Redskins' team name.
1: Oh. Nice.
0: And while I was doing this research, I was like, oh my gosh, there's like almost no information about Amanda Blackhorse. But then I found out that this case was actually started back in 1992 by a woman named Susan Harjo.
2: Oh, so it like has started, been pending that long?
0: Well, it's there's a whole crazy story about it, but <laughs> I'll, I'll tell that, I think, at the end because what I discovered while I was looking up Susan Harjo is that this case is basically a footnote in her story. Ooh. And the, the things that she has accomplished are truly amazing. And so I just was like, you know what? Forget this Redskins controversy. I just want to cover Susan Harjo. So today I'm covering Susan Harjo.
2: <laughs> cool. Awesome.
0: Who is a, a Dine activist and a member of the Navajo people.
2: Okay. Uh, She's I a love what it. activist?
0: Dine D I N E with an apostrophe uh it's like a term for Navajo and and like surrounding tribes. Oh okay. So, Susan Harjo, had had either of you heard of her before this? <laughs> no. No. Yeah, I hadn't either. I and, and and it's actually like it's not hard to find information about her, but it's surprising how little she's been covered in like mainstream media outside of a couple reporters who like keep going back to her. So I'll just I'll just I mean it's not
2: really surprising because I feel like any any news involving indigenous folks is like vastly underreported throughout the country. Mm.
0: Yeah. And even some of the like the foundations that she started, like there's other foundations that have the same name and they like own all the websites, so her foundation doesn't even have a website. It's it's kind of frustrating. Mm. But I did a bunch of research and I, and I've put together the best version of the story that I can at this point.
2: Awesome. I want to hear it. Let's go Chloe. All
0: right. So Susan Harjo was born in 1945 in Oklahoma. Her mother was Cheyenne and her father was Muskegee. Uh, Her father joined the U S army and he was stationed in Oahu and Naples. And she moved with the family. But in 1962, she returned to Oklahoma to finish high school while she was there, her senior year, a Native American activist named Clyde Warrior came to speak to the school about the usage of insulting racist stereotypes in all of American sports. Uh, Specifically, he was there to raise awareness about Oklahoma State's mascot who was called Little Red. And Little Red was always a white man who painted himself red and then dressed in over-the-top, stereotypical Native American clothing and would perform made-up Indian dances on the sidelines of all the sporting events. Gross. Yeah. And Susan recalled, quote, uh, most of us just called him the dancing idiot and left it at that. <laughs> but, but Clyde put the stereotypes and caricatures into a historical context, connecting them to the genocide and ongoing op- oppression of Native Americans. He went through a long list of demeaning mascots. And at the end, he says, and the worst one of all is located in Washington, D.C., in the nation's capital. And it was as if the, he had opened the dome of the Capitol to reveal all of the people inside calling us that awful name. Wow. Whoa. So she, she starts protesting that same year. And she's like, you know what? This is my new thing. And awesome. at the time that she starts protesting, there were over 3,000 schools and sports teams using Native American caricatures as their mascots. Wow.
2: That's so crazy. That many?
0: Yeah. Three thousand. Jeez.
2: Jesus. And it wasn't
0: until um eight years later, in nineteen seventy, uh Little Red was the first of these mascots to be removed and replaced with the Cowboys. Mm. Wow. So uh going back a little before that, there's this story in nineteen sixty-five, this is another thing that sort of inspired her to devote her life towards helping Native American causes. She goes to the Museum of the American Indian in New York City with her mother, and she's walking around the museum, and her mother's trying to show her, like, this is what our culture was before the white people came, and all of a sudden, she sees this display, and she stops, and she freezes, and she, and she goes, oh my gosh, this quote-unquote authentic Native American burial dress, I made this. <gasps> I made this for my grandfather, and I buried him in it. What? And that means they dug this up and put it in this museum. What?
2: Like, it was the same literal dress?
0: It was the one that she made. Oh, my God. And beside it was this, like, little girl's um, just buckskin dress that she would just wear for fun. And it had a bullet hole in the belly. Oh. And she was like, you know what? Daughter, I would like you to make it your mission to get all of these items out of these museums and reburied. And this is, that's a process called repatriation.
2: What the fuck? How did they just dug the graves up and just stole? Well,
0: I think what happened is that, like, over the course of time, as white people took more and more and more land, eventually they overtook burial sites. Mm-hmm. And once they took it, if you dig up and you find, oh, look, all these authentic Native American artifacts, I could probably sell these to a museum. Yeah. And.
1: Wow, that is crazy.
2: That is so, to like see in a museum your family's own. Oh.
0: Yeah, like literally I made that. Jeez. Wow. And if you hand sew a dress, like you know your work. Oh yeah, yeah you
1: wouldn't yeah. you wouldn't mix it up with something else.
2: It's hours and hours mm-hmm. and hours. It's out. You know, it's hundreds of hours probably of, of work. You'd probably
0: see every like any little mistake you made. Like, yep, I remember that. That was a frustrating hour. Like, yeah. especially
1: not just like a dress you would wear, but something that would have so much emotional at- attachment to it and so much meaning. Right. Whoa. Jeez.
2: Like that
0: that patch represents my grandfather's. Whatever, you know? Horrific.
2: That's horrific.
0: So after this incident, Susan holds a summit in June of the same year at Bear Butte, South Dakota. And she invites the National Congress of American Indians, the Cheyenne Tribe, the Lakota, the Arafo religious leaders. uh, And while they're there, they go, okay, we need to create a museum that actually tells our real history rather than this whitewashed bullshit that they're doing. And so uh, at this meeting, they came up with the idea for the National Museum of the American Indian, which they later founded, and their work that and the, the ongoing sort of, um, what's the word I'm looking for, activism that they that they did starting here, eventually led to uh, museum reform laws and repatriation laws in 1989 and
2: 1990. Oh, Good. Great. Good. So some of the stuff got
0: returned. She ends up getting a bunch of the stuff back, and not just out of that museum, but out of museums across the globe. Wow. Yeah.
2: I feel like... I don't have specific examples, but I feel like I, as a kid and teenager, like was in many museums like that, that just like had these like rando artifacts that probably. And the museums
0: always have a story about like, you know, these were given as a gift or or something, or like, oh, these were just found on land that nobody had, and and it's never actually the case. Like it's land that was stolen, forcibly
2: taken, and yeah,
0: yeah. So uh, go back to 1967 harjo has moved to new york city and she starts a radio program called seeing red which is the first ever radio program to center on american indian issues wow cool but the time slot they give her is from midnight to 4 a.m of course it is (laughs) so it's it's widely listened to by by native americans who have access to the radio but not many other people Mm. Uh, By 1974, seven years later, she's looking for a way to get out of New York. Uh, Her family had recently been the victims of a series of life-threatening events, including carbon monoxide poisoning, uh, a nearly fatal car accident, and an armed robbery. Jeez. (sighs) And she's like, we gotta do something. And conveniently, at the same time, a friend of hers from the Yakama Nation called from Washington, D.C. to say... I've been working here in Washington, D.C. in politics for way too long. I'm burned out. Can you come replace me? And she's like, yes.
2: Oh, wow. Wow.
0: So she moves her family. She has a, a husband and two children at this point to Washington and becomes the news director for the American Indian Press Association. Okay. What she is not told before she takes this job is that the American Indian Press Association has no money at all.
1: Yeah.
0: And so she's put in charge of fundraising and working as a reporter and being the news director. Oh,
2: gosh. Her friend, like, conveniently just doesn't say that (laughs) when he asks her to, or she.
0: Right. (laughs) Yeah.
1: No wonder they're burned out. They were there for, like, three weeks. They're like... (laughs) (laughs)
0: It's just too much. (laughs) such a shame. And um, she, as soon as she can, she gets out of this job and she goes into advocacy work at the National Congress of American Indians, which was founded in 1944 uh, after they'd been protesting starting in the 1930s. Mm, So this has been going on just forever. Yeah. Yeah. In 1976, she joins the Carter campaign for president and sets up a whole bunch of meetings between him and indigenous leaders to talk about native issues that all the other candidates are ignoring. And in 1978, all of her connections and her years of lobbying pay off, and the American Indian Religious Freedom Act is passed. Yes. Oh. Which both Nixon and Ford had told protesters would be unconstitutional.
2: (laughs) Oh, jeez. People love that word. They don't even know what it means. (laughs) Right.
0: (laughs) right and the act protects religious cultural practices and mandates access to indigenous holy sites for native americans native hawaiians inuit and Alliots. Mm. and the Alliots i had never heard of but from the, they're from the aleutian islands which is the island chain from alaska to russia right. that was
1: exactly going to be my question i was like what's it now <laughs> i don't know that word <laughs>
0: She said about working with President Carter, quote, our very best ally was President Carter. Mm-hmm. During his campaign meeting with tribal leaders, he pledged to sign the act into law, along with the Indian Child Welfare Act, uh, Tribally Controlled Community Colleges Act, Eastern Indian Land Claim Settlements, and other fender- federal Indian legislation. I have to point out that he made a lot of promises to us and kept every one.
1: Wow, you don't hear that very often.
2: You know, we've said it before on this podcast, and I'll say it again. Sweet, sweet Jimmy Carter.
1: Mm Aw. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Still building his Habitat for Humanity houses today.
0: Yep. Old old as dirt. Old as dirt. It's amazing. (laughs) I I wish that I knew more about him, and I might just have to research him on my own time, because... I keep finding out all these things. Well, about because how great we he can't was. do him on
2: this podcast because he is not abroad.
0: So. No, that's, he's not. That's correct. But well, he's an
2: ally, I would say. He is an mm-hmm. ally of uh
0: In the same 2010 interview where she praised Carter, she also said, "Candidate Obama reminded me of candidate Carter mm-hmm. in his honest, intellectual, and heartfelt views of and approach to Native peoples and federal Indian laws and lawmaking. Like Carter, Obama has kept all of his promises and more." Oh. And Obama awarded Harjo the Presidential Medal of Freedom in
1: 2014.
2: Mm. Awesome. Oh, so many people that you got great, who deserved it, got those uh, Medal of Freedom from Obama.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: I know. I feel like actually there's been several broads,
2: I think, that we've talked about that 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 happened for.
1: Yeah.
0: For sure. I'm going to keep, like, sort of bouncing around because there's so many elements of her story of like things that she just was working on simultaneously that didn't pay off till much later. Mm. So I'm gonna like yeah. introduce the concept, say how it ended, and then kinda go that way. Right. Um in nineteen eighty two Susan helped file a class-action lawsuit against the United States for failing to pay a bunch of lawsuits that they had lost against Native people dating back to 1966 and before.
2: Hmm. And they just didn't and pay? Correct. God damn it.
0: Yeah. It, it it was mostly, like, land ownership claims of, like, land that had been forcibly taken. Yeah. And they were like, hey, we at least should be paid for that land, and the United States just never did.
2: Oh. Yeah, the United States never does for indigenous people. That is like right. the, the rec- like it's a like a broken record. It's like over and over again, things are taken yeah. and not paid back, and taken and not paid back.
0: Yeah, and so in 1984, she founds the Morning Star Institute uh, in memory of her husband. I didn't find out when he died, but he died at some point in there. And the Morning Star Institute, their their basically their job is to try to get land back for native peoples. Mm. Mm. And uh, over the course of its time, the morning star Institute has helped return over 1 million acres of land to native American tribes.
2: Awesome. Wow. wow. The Institute,
0: the Institute also sponsors uh, just good sports, which is a foundation devoted to erasing all the racist problematic sports mascots.
2: All cool. right. All right.
0: Uh, I found out that um, as of today, uh, twenty one hundred of the three thousand mascots have been removed.
2: Wow! Oh, okay. That's great progress. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, there's still like about nine hundred plus. Mm-hmm. But, but you know, that's a lot of progress. Yeah, yeah. So here is where I will get into the Harjo at all v. Pro Football Inc. case. Which Harjo was the first person to start this case against the Washington Redskins in 1992. Mm. So she and six other Native Americans that she like rallied together sued pro football. They'd been trying to do it since the 1960s. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason they were finally able to get some headway and like actually uh, file the case is that there had been a, a series of recent cases with the patent office where uh, different. People had been trying to trademark things using the term redskin, and the patent office had turned it down, saying that it was racist. Right. Mm. And so they were like, OK, if, if it's racist now, it was certainly racist then. Let's see if we can do something about it. Yeah. So they went back and they found six trademarks owned by pro football that um, were disparaging to Native Americans. And this, this case was just supposed to cancel those six trademarks. The District Court of Washington, DC rejected the case outright on two grounds. Firstly, they said there wasn't sufficient e- evidence to prove that the term redskin was disparaging. And secondly, based on the concept of latches, do either of you know what latches are? Because I didn't. No, I
1: don't know. I
2: think I've I've heard it before.
0: I feel like it might have come up on this podcast once, but I I could be making up a memory. Um, uh, Latches is this legal theory that if you wait too long to bring a lawsuit, uh, you're being unfair to the person you're suing. Oh, that's
2: bullshit. No, that's not what I was thinking.
0: But that's, that's what it is, and it's a concept that exists in our law. And uh, the owner of the team complained that if the court sides in favor of the plaintiffs, all trademarks disparaging groups with constantly expanding populations are potentially at risk.
2: <laughs> that's
0: the point. Well. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, how, how, if, you, if you side with them, we're, we're going to have to get rid of all of our racist things. And, and, and just where is the line?
2: Well, what can we possibly have mascots? What if what if we have a mascot that's not offensive? That's insane.
0: Like, why would we even want that? <laughs> it's the most. It's the silliest argument I've heard. But
2: and also, like, who feel fucking feels bad for the head of a fucking like NFL team? Like, right? That's the CEO of these teams. They are like the richest fuckers out there.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah
2: no one feels yeah, bad and, for them. Jesus.
0: And they just they feel like they own the players. Like it's just an extension of slavery that like has warped because they get paid. It's complicated.
2: Yes, it's very complicated. So what happened in the case?
0: So, the plaintiffs argued that latches should not apply because the youngest of the seven names on this case uh, was only 1 year old when the trademark was registered. They said that you know, they how could they have sued back then? They were 1.
2: Mm, and so mm-hmm. the the
0: court the court agreed to look into the matter further. It took 17 years before they came back with a decision.
2: What? Wow.
0: It, it is July of 2008 when the court says, you know what? Latches do still apply. And they throw the case out.
1: No. Oh, what? And in
0: 2009, the uh, the plaintiffs try to appeal this decision, and the court refuses to hear it.
2: In 2009?
0: Yeah. In 2012, this is where Amanda Blackhorse steps in as the new lead plaintiff on the case. And this time, they brought in only a bunch of younger Native American people to sue so that Latches wouldn't apply. Harjo worked on the case as well. She helped file it. In 2013, Dan Snyder, who was the owner of the Washington team, said, quote, The team name will never be changed. You can use all caps. Never. Ugh. And what Harjo says
1: ball. Such a douche.
0: Like oh the worst. Oh my god. The men we discover in our in our research are always the worst oh, people. Oh my god. Except for except for President Carter. Yeah,
1: there we go. <laughs> sweet, sweet uh, Jimmy Har-
0: <laughs> Harjo Harjo says in response to this, uh, it's just the stuff of Custer. Arrogant and short-sighted, he's alone on a hill, intent on killing Indians, after leading his men into a battle they cannot win.
2: Uh, uh (laughs) I like that analogy. I don't know why that made me laugh so much. Mm -hmm. So in
0: 2014, the court on this new case rules to void the registration of the trademark, but also noted that they don't have the authority to stop anyone from using the trademark. So hmm. the team name can continued on anyway. Huh hmm. so
2: that sounds like some weird legal. <clears throat> like. It's a it's
0: it's a bunch of just little like loops that they put in there for themselves to be able to do whatever they want.
2: Yeah. Dickheads.
0: Yeah. So in twenty seventeen, in a completely separate court case, the Supreme Court rules that Banning racist names from being trademarked is an infringement of free speech, and so you're not allowed to do it. Seriously? Yeah, this is 2017.
2: You're not allowed to not be a racist. You're not
0: allowed. Yeah, you're not allowed to to tell people they can't be racist because being racist is free speech. Uh, This case specifically involved an Asian American band called The Slants they trying to re- trademark the name of their band, and they were like, yeah, they can call themselves that. So after this, uh, all of these Native American cases against the Redskins, just they, they lose momentum and they stop. Oh. After the ruling, Amanda Blackhorse says, uh, I want to make clear that this ruling does not state that the Washington's team name is okay. I think people know the name is forever deemed offensive. I think in the back of their minds, people know that. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. But I, if if you've been paying attention to the news this year, you may have heard that the Redskins agreed to change their name yeah. in July of this year.
2: Yeah. Never. So, in all caps, never. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so when, when I saw that, I was like, oh, well, clearly that was the work of, of these activists. And I'm sure that played a major role in at least maintaining awareness of the issue. But it didn't actually have anything to do with either of these cases. It all comes down to George Floyd. Mm. when when george floyd is killed uh, the protests against racial injustice launch in every major city across the united states and across the globe which leads a a number of large brands to take a step back and go maybe a lot of people are against racism so maybe (laughs) Maybe. we should sort of distance (laughs) ourselves from it it was
2: suddenly not cool to be racist
0: Mm. Right. So so all these investors worth worth 620 billion dollars send letters to Nike, Pepsi and FedEx and FedEx owns naming rights to the Washington football stadium. Mm. Calling for them to stop sponsoring the sports team.
1: Mm-hmm. Nice.
0: On July 3rd, Nike pulls all of the Washington sports gear from their website, refuses to stop refuses to sell it anymore and fedex formally asks the team to change their name and says that they will stop funding the team entirely if they don't awesome 10 days later july 13th the team announces they will be changing their name
1: (laughs) i remember this happening because ped always followed this I remember we, t- we talked about this. And also, they did an episode on Kimmy Schmidt. I don't know if you guys watched oh, Kimmy Schmidt. Oh, yes, they
0: did, yeah. Remember where she,
1: like, is, like, her goal is to infiltrate the Redskins and get the name changed? Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember this happening this year and being like, holy shit, finally. Like it finally like, happened. So fucking, like, late and behind the times, but it finally happened. But how
2: sad yeah. that it had to be the corporate entities that made it. Oh, Le- well,
1: like at it, least it sounds like America, though. It wasn't right. Yeah. If you look at it. It's like those corporate entities only took action because of the protests. Yeah,
0: it's it's us. We have the power. But the but
2: the, own, but the Redskin owner wouldn't. It was never in all caps until people were like, well, maybe we're not going to sponsor you anymore. And mm-hmm.
0: then they're like, oh, take wait, six hundred and twenty billion away. Jeez, so assholes. for the 2020, 2021 season, they're going by Washington football team. That's their name until they're able to come up with a, a suitable replacement. I hope they
1: keep that for the rest of time. It's kind of charming. I do, I do too. Kind of charming.
0: <laughs> we are Washington football team.
1: I want their mascot to just be a person dressed as a football. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> I would love that. Or
2: like, you what know, are they going to all... be like the Washington conifers?
1: Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't know. All this time. um, people were there were a lot of people who were advocating to say they should change their name to the Pigskins because they're apparently there are super fans who dress it's like men who dress as pigs who are late like lady pigs <laughs> if i understand this correctly and they're super so- fans they show up to games with like yeah exactly with like pig noses and house dresses what? and they're the super fans and so people were like, well, just change your name to the pig skins because also footballs used to be made of pig skin. Like, it's...
0: It's it's really good. It's
1: easy. Sam, and that's offensive fits. to
2: vegans, okay? <laughs> <laughs>
1: just... Don't get
0: one me comfortable with the one vegans. Day. One day we'll change that one, too.
2: <laughs> Eventually they'll all be named after plants and a- and animals.
1: Oh, I like mm-hmm.
2: that. <laughs> uh, well,
0: this... The same month that they announced that the, the, they're going to change the name, Susan Harjo gives an interview to the Washington Post and she says, I'm pleased with the progress, but we've been close before. We had respected members of the community, the Congress on our side. Then, as soon as we let our guard down, we learned that the only thing the franchise had in mind was tinkering with the imagery. Changing the skin tone of the mascot, muting the facial features, enlarging the spear. They were always trying to see how much racism they could get away with. Willing to change the package, but never the content. We learned that you don't dance in the end zone just because you got close to the goal line. You dance after you score.
2: Yeah. Oh. That's a good quote. Good
1: quote. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's a that's probably a good place to, to wrap this whole this whole thing up.
2: Is that um? so do you know, Chloe, like, is she still really active right now? Like, is she working with like Deb Holland and the other Congress people who are doing their they're, they've got like massive legislation on board to help protect indigenous rights right now? That's like going through Senate well, and stuff like that.
0: I think she is working with the people who are doing that. Like she's kind of a, a mentor figure at this point. But I think she's gone back to the to the to Oklahoma and the sort of and the reservations, and she's working mostly as a social worker. Hmm. Okay. Um. I f- I also found out that she she got COVID this year, but she was asymptomatic, and so she quarantined, but just never got any symptoms. Thank
2: goodness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nobody wants. And so she symptoms. was like.
0: And so she's just said, like, you know, I'm, I'm quarantined, but I'm here and I'm taking phone calls and emails and, and meeting with my friends. And just we're still we're still fighting. Yeah.
1: Man, she's just one of these broads where when you hear like all of her accomplishments and all of the things she did, you just you just have to reflect on yourself and recognize how lazy you are. <laughs> you know? like, I'm just like, thinking of all that she's done. It's in, it's, uh, it's it's really incredible. It sounds and yeah. it sounds exhausting you have to have such positivity enough to be able to keep pursuing that work and stamina against stamina
2: and just like yeah. hope and heart, like this hard work, like standing up to these corporate entities, these sports teams is mm-hmm. exhausting.
0: Just being told no. Cause she's 75 years old at this point. Oh, wow! So, uh, but like, she doesn't look 75. If you look at pictures of her, she looks like I would have guessed she's 50. Wow. Like she looks great, <laughs> but she's, she's just very optimistic and, I think even in the face of constant rejection and constantly being told like, no, your people aren't worth anything. They don't exist. Like your problems aren't real. Just constantly being patient and saying, no, we'll get there eventually. Wow. And it's so inspiring.
2: So inspiring. Thank oh, you I for, love her. Thank you for bringing her, Chloe. She's great. hmm
0: a big fan of susan harjo here and amanda blackhorse by extension Me too. but amanda blackhorse mm-hmm. i feel like is going to sort of pick up the mantle and by the time she's 75 she'll have episodes worth of content well For we sure. finally
2: have like more and more um tribal folks are there like actually in congress right now i think it's the most we've ever had and so there's i think there's a lot of great hope that there's going to be a lot more legislation that's very, you know, progressive in that in that light because until now mm-hmm. there just hasn't been. It's just constant lies, mm. right? Empty promises, and you know, yeah.
0: Well, here's to the future. The things getting better as long as we keep fighting. I didn't
2: mean to be negative love it <laughs> <No>. <laughs> i just like to be real about it because people don't know enough about the the in the plight of indigenous folks in especially in this it's country, it's so. true
0: yeah i i did like I, ha- I kept stopping in the middle of my research to to look up like wait what else was going on with indigenous people at this time because like all i know of history from this period is what we learn in school which is just like what white people were doing yeah. and it just kept being this like reminder and wake up call that like Oh, this fight has been going on since before my grandparents were born, sure. uh, since before their grandparents were born, and it's all happening every single day. And just because we don't hear about it doesn't mean it's not affecting people.
1: Yeah. The, and, this is, I have to use this opportunity to plug this book um, because I was really eye opening for me, like you were saying, Chloe, like you reading a, a, a really crucial point in American history and being like, oh, holy shit, that's what happened. It's called Killers of the Flower Moon by David Graham, and it's uh, about how the American government uh, pretty much went into Oklahoma and stole all of the oil rights from Native American people um, and in all sorts of horrific ways, <laughs> and it's incredibly eye-opening and um, like not shocking but also shocking so i really it's a it's a fantastic book so anyone who's interested in it killers the flower moon by david gran it's really really fascinating
0: i love that you always have book recommendations for
2: (laughs) me too i need to read more oh my god
1: do we need a broads you should know book club
0: (laughs) (laughs) i would be on board for that yes um i do also want to Just quickly say, because um, as I was doing all this research of like how all of the presidents, because when she was like, President Carter and President Obama are the presidents who helped us and everyone else didn't. I was like, well, I wonder, because all these quotes are from like 2015 and prior. I wonder how Trump has been doing (laughs) on indigenous issues And there are a ton of articles from right-wing sites saying how good of a job he is doing and talking about all the legislation he has passed to help indigenous people. And some of these laws are legitimately, they look on the surface like they're super beneficial. Like we've acknowledged a tribe that was never previously acknowledged by the American government, like that is progress. Mm -hmm. There's a tribe that's like, holy crap, the American government finally acknowledged that we exist. And I don't want to give Trump all of the credit for that, but his name is the one on the bill. On top of that, there's a a tribe, I forget where, but they they had a bunch of land stolen from them by this big corporation. And Trump signed a bill saying that that corporation has to pay the tribe like $8 million a year. But there was a previous law that gave the tribe a percentage of the company's profits. Uh. And this... (laughs) And this new law cancels that.
2: Yeah. Right. Because so they now, want to keep more of their profits. Now it's just a flat rate. Yeah.
0: Right. See? So it's like, it looks like it's a good thing. Like, we're giving $8 million a year to this tribe, but you don't see that we're canceling and undoing that they used to get more.
2: How uh, how unsurprising. Corporate exactly. <laughs> Come in above the native people. Hmm.
0: Right. I'm just right.
1: shocked there was even anything nice in the bill. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> i know yeah i was t- but like i mean if you're trying to do something evil you have to paint it in a pretty face that's for sure oh,
2: jesus two months so, guys just two anyway, tw- months. All right, <laughs> yeah. it's a point where yeah. we record this at least
1: yeah right,
0: right i mean this episode will probably be out after the election so oh my gosh uh oh my gosh, i hope uh i hope well, some good things still
1: have access to podcasts and streaming after that
0: <laughs> right oh uh, who knows we can only hope.
1: Optimism. Optimism.
0: <laughs> optimism. I'm sure Susan Harjo has nothing but optimism for, for that period of time. Yep. Thank you for listening to Broads You Should Know. We will have another broad for you next week.